Fleetway Incorporated is a reliable and speedy courier. They only employ the best ex-highwaymen and former pirates, so you know your precious cargo is in safe hands. With the region's largest stable of Pegasi, next day delivery is almost guaranteed. Extra charges apply for deliveries free of Pegasus dung. All the tabletop role-playing news We aim to amuse and we aim to enthuse And Morris is unofficial tabletop RPG Hello, 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 and welcome to Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG talk. I am Russ, aka Morris, or Morris, aka Russ, and Peter is not with me this week. He's on holiday. So instead, stepping in is our good friend, Shane Stacks. Hi, Shane. Hey, how's it going? Shane Stacks from Shane Plays Geek Talk. Glad to be here. Where where did uh where where did uh, Peter go on this holiday? Well, given that a, a, a national lockdown started yesterday, <laughs> not very far. <laughs> He's like in his backyard with it. He built a little tiki hut or something. I, honest, I honestly don't know. Okay. I don't know. I know he was around last night because we were playing a game on Zoom last night. Oh, good. So he hasn't gone. He hasn't gone far. Uh, but um, I should move quickly on because okay. we have a guest. Yes, he's been sitting there silently and patiently. Yes, we have another disembodied head. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I guess this week is Ed Jarrett of uh, Shades of Vengeance, who's been on the podcast before, so listeners should be familiar with him. And if they're not familiar with him, they should stop listening right now, go back, listen to the previous podcast, and then come back. No, don't do that, because that would take far too long. Well, actually, you remember which numbers they were, of course, so you can advise them properly. 25 right? and 35. I believe were oh. your were your podcast well done. numbers. Is that true? Or did <laughs> I know, you just I'm make that sure, up? Yeah, I, I, yeah, wow. I'm pretty sure that that's right because I was looking. Uh, Ed, I would also call Ed King of the Machine Gun Kickstarters. Because I was going to talk to him about that yeah, a bit later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And by machine gun, I don't mean quick. I mean he's lots, he, of. lots, lots of kickstarters. Yeah, yes. multiple. Yes, more than three. I hear. Yeah. Well, he does three before <laughs> breakfast. He, three. he does three before breakfast. That's not yeah, even, that's not yeah. even a warm up. I had, we had Phil Reed on last week, who's the other king of Kickstarters, but he doesn't episode. hold doesn't hold a candle to Ed in sheer numbers. I don't think anyone does, to be honest. You, Ed, have you actually done the most Kickstarters of anybody on Kickstarter? No. I have not. Uh, there are people who are over 100 Kickstarters in. Wow. Um, however, I believe I'm the most prolific games Kickstarter creator, I think. We've got some RPG news to do. What the heck? Yeah. I thought that people got upset if your RPG news podcast did news. Occasionally they do, okay. yeah. Yeah. They're just going to have to put up with it, aren't they? Yes. So, Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. I it is delayed. A, it is delayed here yeah. in the UK. It's not delayed where you are in the USA, though. Well, the offer always stands. I'm happy to get something for you and mail it over to you if you want to review it early or before the UK. Uh, no, it. I mean, I, I, I don't do reviews myself. Um, okay. I've got someone else that does reviews. Well, but the, but you and Peter haven't weighed a book in a while. We haven't weighed a book. That's because Peter hasn't been here in a while because we've uh, been on lockdown. Oh, that's right. Normally, we do that together. It's our, it's our thing, but no, not in a long time. Anyway, table of contents. It's up. You can go and look at it. We'll put the link in the show notes so those people that are still waiting for it, because it comes out 17th in the US, which is, what, two weeks? Two yeah, weeks. just a little less. And December the 1st here in Europe, Asia, and Pacific countries. Oh, that's not too bad. That's not too long a wait. Yeah, and it's just a COVID shipping wait. It's not yeah. anything nefarious. It's just, yeah. you know, it happens. 
we're having the same thing happen with stop going to America in reverse at the moment. It's just nothing you can do. Mm. It was like three weeks in customs or something. Wow. It's insane. Just new shipping paperwork. Apparently, we the, that won't happen again, though, because you only have to do it once. And then once it's done, it's done, allegedly. So the table of contents, I don't know if you guys have seen the table of contents. I'm looking at it right now. So we've got the whole thing there. We've got the four chapters, character options, group patrons, um, an enormous chapter, um, magical yeah, miscellany, yeah. and then dungeon master's tools wow. are the four chapters there. So, so I, I, there's a lot in here. Um, well, char- character options has the stuff about customizing your origin, but that apparently is only about one page. So in fact, you, not only not only apparently, I'm looking at it right now in the table of context. It literally is one page, so it's not. Well, do we know if this is going to be new material or is it going to be sort of a re? Because I know that some of the existing books from Wizards of the Coast for D and D are being revised for how they handle, you know, race. Or yeah. So what's happening is it actually came out earlier because one of the Adventurers League's players' guides. Um, their latest season is using this book. So, uh, in, you know, you know, you can get those free players guides right. for each Adventurers League season. It had the information about customizing your origin. And as I remember it, I haven't got it in front of me now. It's fairly simple. It's basically you can swap out, um, features, um, from one race for another race. Right. You can swap out tool and weapon proficiencies for other ones. Basically, all the things where you were given things, you can choose them instead, pretty much. And all negative ability scores are gone. So this is interesting. This is in Chapter 1, changing a skill and changing your subclass. Mm. So it's like, it, it almost looks like that they're opening it up to so you can respec your character to a certain point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's I think you can. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Um, and then they've got a whole bunch of um, subclasses there, which are mainly from Unearthed Arcana before. Ooh, they have a Psy Warrior under Fighter. Oh, I, think, I, think, I, I think almost all of these have been seen before yeah. in Unearthed Arcana. Okay, so this is... All right, Monk. Now, some, of them are, some of them are slightly jigged. Some of them not so much. Some of them are renamed. Well, there's. I like the, the name anyway. It's very evocative. Under Warlock, there's... There is a type called the Fathomless, and there's also mm. the Genie. That's cool. So your patron is a Genie. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. Um, yeah, there's some really, really interesting stuff in here. Uh, now, one thing I've got to point out is Monk, only because you know, in the uh, as as most people probably know by now, Level Up Advanced Five E is coming from mm. Russ and Ian Publishing down the road. You know, I'm not. I, I, a year in quotes. Uh, Ish. And, yeah. and I've been, you know, I, I still thank you again for allowing me to participate in that discussion on Discord. There has been so much discussion over the monk and, mm. and, 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 and what, how to reapproach the monk without a, attaching it to, you know, like Eastern traditions or something like that. And that, that man, there's been mm. so much discussion over the monk. So, yeah, just to make it more generic. Yeah, make it more generic. Yeah. Because uh, one of the reasons, one of the important reasons for that was because when we did mythological figures and maleficent monsters, um, we had characters multi-classing into monk specifically because we wanted to give them unarmed combat ability. But that comes with all that baggage, that sort of Eastern mysticism right. baggage, which you don't necessarily want an Irish pit fighter to have, right. but you still want to be able to give the Irish pit fighter the ability to do bare knuckle boxing. Right. So 
that's that's right. So the idea is to sort of make the monk more generic, so that you can have the Eastern if you sort want, of, um, not kung fu monk, to, or yeah. you can have an Irish pit fighter, or you can have whatever in between. Yeah, a lot of the discussion has been around what what makes the monk the monk, right? What 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 would be a fighter subclass, and what would be like the monk? So it's been really interesting. Mm. It's been super, and it's exactly what I wanted when I, I was like, "Hey, Russ, do you mind if I kind of uh, see how all the sausage is made?" And it's Man, there's a lot. There's no instant decisions. It's pretty interesting to see how all this stuff. But anyway, we're talking about Tasha's. Um, no, no, no. Yes, um, gone, seriously, yeah. I, I just wanted to add, uh, as someone who plays a monk, yeah, um, in D and I'm listening with great interest. I'm, I'm very interested in what what Russ comes up with, and and what you guys have been talking about. Now, now this this yeah this has piqued my interest somewhat. Has it? But back to uh, Tasha's or Tasha. One thing that that has caught my attention is, and I, I don't know if 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 she was represented this way before. I mean, I, I know mm-hmm. Tasha's hideous laughter, right? And I know, yeah, I know some of the backstory, like she's pretended to be another person and da 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 in D and D lore. But they literally, she's literally looks like a witch. She's got the pointy hat. Mm-hmm. She's got the cauldron, which has everything in it. Evidently, mm-hmm. and then you know she's she's casting a, a spell out of this book. She looks like if you took the classic witch archetype and put mm. it into D anD D, that's what she looks like. So do you, yeah. do you know has she always been portrayed like that, or yeah, pretty much? Okay. She's the adopted daughter of Baba Yaga. Okay, and Baba Yaga is like right, the yeah. classical Russian witch, right? But I mean, do you, does she have the pointy hat and everything? That I don't know. That just kind of caught my attention. I'm not and against you know, it. If, you, if you're a witch, you have to have a yeah, pointy hat. I'm not hat. against the it. I just think it's... you get you get you get thrown out of the witches' club if you don't have oh, a pointy hat. Okay, all right, that's what it is. Um, yeah, but I'm trying to look. Yeah, yeah you, so you've got the dungeon master's tools has st- it's got session zero. Mm, I noticed that. That's quite interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm surprised that's not in the DMG. I don't think it is. I don't think it's huh. in um, oh, Xanathar's Guide to Everything either. Yeah, uh, huh. okay. But Session Zero is, I mean, it's a super helpful thing to do. I, I don't land on the, some people say you absolutely can't play RPGs without a Session Zero. I don't land there because obviously for decades people did. But it is and an amazing, you know, and when you're playing like a one shot right. like convention or something, you definitely can't do a session zero. But yeah, they are. Useful but it's things. an amazing innovation, and uh, I recommend it. You know, and then if people don't know, session zero is just where you have mm. your first session is rolling up your characters, talking about what kind of game you're going to play, deciding on mm. things, um, and then that way, when when you hit session two. Which is really your first game session? Then you're you hit the ground running, and everybody knows. One, one thing on. I really like when I'm running a game is I like being there when the players create their characters, and I know that's not always possible, right? But I actually enjoy being there and being part of that process because as a GM, just, you get that insight, don't you, into where their thought yeah. process came from to create this character they're then going to yeah. play. Otherwise, yeah. otherwise, they just do it at home. They turn up with their characters. You don't really know their characters. And you know they're suddenly telling you, "Oh, I can do this," and you're like, "Oh, can you?" Can okay, yeah, like, yeah. I kind of, can I kind of like to be there in at that process yeah. at the beginning. Yeah, or they spring three sessions in, they spring some their background story detail on you that is suddenly germane. <laughs> you're like, "Oh, okay," you know. So, um, yeah, so it's interesting that, the, and it looks like 
139. It looks like it's about three, two or three pages on session zero. Yeah. They got the stuff We've on the side information kicks. on sidekicks. I like this supernatural region stuff. Yeah. Fair realm. And uh, yeah. they, uh, Wizard of the Coast spoke about this a bit because this, uh, this contents page appeared on IGN and they did a little interview. And most of the interview was just kind of the regular fluff stuff that you can skim over. But, um, they did mention the otherworldly locations. There's like haunted realms. Um, there's a Lovecraftian nightmare world, um, beyond the known sphere of existence. Um, there's a horrifying colony of mimics. Yeah, that is, <laughs> I love the, the mimic colony under magical phenomena, mm. which what, you know, I really think, okay. Uh, I have to ask, does anybody actually know what a mimic looks like? Whatever it wants to look That's like. That's what I'm sure. saying, but what is its base form, right? It's like a Jawa. You don't really know what it looks like underneath the robes. I kind of always assumed that mimics look like whatever... Like, like if you were to find a mimic in a mimic colony, I assume right. it would look like whatever's around, right? Okay, So, like, let's say it's underground, right? It would be like a rock in the corner, okay. mm. right? It, it would just blend into whatever's there because that's their nature. Kind of okay. like, like a chameleon, right? In the sense that you would walk in there and you wouldn't even know it's a mimic colony, mm. I think. That's pretty interesting. But uh, yeah. until, so until obviously like... the mimics grab you and start eating your brains. Ah, but right. what do they look like when they're first born before they well, first that, change that's kind into of, a I mean, shape. like, what do they look like, right? Yeah. So I, so I imagine they're a bit like the polymorph in Red Dwarf. Yeah, when you look, <laughs> it doesn't <laughs> take shape until kind of... you look at it. <laughs> oh, right, yeah, yeah. Where, where it just changes shape. Yeah. I'm just kind of thinking more like some kind of amorphous blob. Well, yeah, I think, that, well, when, when the polymorph in Red Dwarf finally revealed its true self to Crichton... And it was just like mm. spurting nasty, oh, the, oh, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, with yeah. tentacles and eye stalks and and all that, yeah. Mm. So, but but massive bonus points for Red Dwarf uh, references. So, all right, let's do some more RPG news because you can now pre-order for Pathfinder the Mwangi Expanse, which is uh, uh, Pathfinder sort of African themed, African inspired book. Okay, cool. Um, so it's very, very inspired by African sort of folklore and, and mythology. How do you spell that? Um, uh, W, no, M, M W, w A, N, G, A, N, yes, that's it. That is correct. Right, I am pulling it up even as we speak. So it's 300 pages. You can pre-order it now. Um, there's lots of details on history, culture, uh, magic. Um, it's not coming out until June 2021, though. Mm, goodness. So it's quite a way off. Mm. Yeah, I'm looking at some artwork. It's de- All of the artwork is gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. Is- I like this uh, grandmother spider. Um, this uh, this lady sitting there cross-legged with six arms doing some weaving. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at Yeah, it's also called the Forbidden Jungle. Archaically also it was, called the Forbidden Jungle. It was jungle. called the Forbidden yeah. Jungle, yeah. But now it's mm. Wangy Expanse. Mm. Uh, up for pre-order. So I was, look- I was on their wiki. That... The main artwork where it has the um, the people drumming and the lady dancing at the top and mm-hmm. the birds of uh, birds of paradise is what I think. Of yeah, as. that's just amazing. It's really it's gorgeous, yeah, it? the yeah. grandmother spider. Um, yeah, that's really cool. So you know, I, obviously, there's more of this stuff coming to mainstream role playing where they're they're trying to give different settings, but also trying to do them respectfully. Um, mm. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see how how this is received. Um, you know, it, it now Bell of Lost Souls is saying that Pathfinder's 
Mwangi Expanse has its roots in real world Africa is like saying that the realm of Barovia is inspired by Romani folklore. So, uh, sorry. Yeah. 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 So I, I don't know. I mean, I, hopefully it'll be well received and they've done it well. Well, I think the people yeah. writing it, I think from, uh, what I recall, and I haven't got their names in front of me at all, but, um, the, the team that they had writing this is the right people to do that. Okay. We'll see yeah. how it goes. It wasn't yeah, like a bunch of middle-aged, is. middle-aged white men writing about African stereotypes. It yeah. was, you know, people with links to that culture and that history. Yeah, the and it's it's officially called Lost Omens. The Mwangi. the artwork's beautiful. I mean, that that's one of the best pieces of RPG artwork I've seen in a long time. It's nice, isn't yeah, it? It's yeah, it's very yeah. nice. I hope it, like you know, it. hope it goes over well. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Starfinder. Let's go a bit sci-fi for the moment. There's a. Is, is, is it going to show Mwangi three thousand years in the future? <laughs> well, no, because Galarian has disappeared in ah. Starfinder. So Mwangi has also disappeared. Ah. It being it being part of Galarian. But you can play test the precog spellcaster cast. Cast? Class. I can't even Spellcaster class. That's the sentence I was trying to get out. It's a precog. So if you're a, a minority report fan. Sure. And you'd like to be able to, you know, have a quick glimpse into the future. Um, coming very soon, I think November the 16th through December the 25th. So it ends on Christmas Day. So the thing with that is, I haven't looked at that, but the only way I can think of to do a class that has precognition without completely blowing the game apart, right? Because knowing in advance what's happening, mm. uh, like, could really be hard for the DM. I, yeah. I imagine it just lets them re-roll things that's one yeah thing what, what else so they, yeah. the, the yeah. other thing that you could do is something a little like um the the book and later the movie next um and you do very very short range precognition mm. um uh because i i actually thought that movie sort of expressed the the abilities of someone with that power quite well I haven't. I haven't mm. seen it. Is it? So is no, it, I haven't yeah. either. I haven't. Um, it's it's a Nicolas Cage movie. Sorry, um, I, I like <laughs> Nicolas Cage. <laughs> Have you seen Mandy in Color Out of Space? He's he's carving out a new niche for himself. I I, I think I think he's generally fine. I think he's given yeah. a lot of bad press for for bad reasons. Yeah. But uh, no, um, it, it's it's an interesting movie because the dude can just see two minutes into the future. Two minutes, right? Mm. And. That means that, like, if someone's firing a gun at him frantically, he can literally look at every possibility, and and they actually do do this lovely sequence in the movie where he's literally walking up to the guy, and sort of, like, millions of him, kind of, some of them dodge and some of them don't, and the ones that don't, you watch watch kind of the bodies drop off. Oh, I'm watching. I'm watching this movie. I've got a character exactly Brilliant. like that in the novel I'm writing, and I'm now disappointed. Well, <laughs> um, now you get a name. There's no such Mickey. thing as an original. Appear- <laughs> uh, there's no such thing as uh, an original idea, so I wouldn't worry about it. It's just original some- expression, indeed. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, uh, I-, I think that would be the way that I would approach a cre- precog by going, okay, this is something that you can apply, but it, it it's only got a limited scope. Yeah, like right. massive dodge bonuses. Is yeah, that's to say, how do you cl- apply that mechanically? Like, do you give them so, triple yeah, advantage? I mean, dodge or, bonuses I mean, is a thing. Yeah. Um, or even, like, uh, you, I'm, I might even give, like, um, 
I mean, initiative bonuses is something that I would probably probably give. Yeah, that would make um, sense. Yeah. I think I would. I think I would probably give people maybe the the occasional ability to kind of go, oh, this person just succeeded on a roll and did something. What if they? But were actually, I'm going to leap in there. Like, what like if they were like a little a, bit braver and they actually allowed you to rewind time a couple of minutes, so you can literally use an ability and say, right. Okay, I don't like how this has gone. Let's rewind time two minutes. Interesting. And we'll say, that's just the future I saw. And I'm going to make a different choice now. That, 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 that is a brave mechanic. thing. Yeah. The, yeah. the only the only problem is, does that alienate everyone else at the table? That that mm. I mean, that's a consideration because it's not just mechanics. Does it become so-and-so and their amazing friends? Right, in the yeah. night. Right, um, no, so, you'd have to do it very rarely. Yeah, right? yeah, I'd have to. Think, have think, to limit it. Yeah. yeah, it couldn't. It couldn't be like a you know, but, at will power. But it would be super cool, and that would also be a great mechanic for for duet games, right? Where you have just the GM yes, and yeah, just yeah, one yeah. player. I'm um, sure I have played a video game that does that. Actually, now thinking about it, but I can't think for the life of me what that is, where you can. Literally rewinds um, time well, by a certain number of minutes. Ah, I know yeah. which one you mean. I've played it and I can't remember. Um, oh, I know. It was uh, what Prince I of Persia. Was Life is Strange. No, Prince of Persia. Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time. Uh, and yes. others. Yes, you could do it with that. You could literally rewind time in yes, it. You and it would go zoop, back to however far you want, as long as you had enough sand left, and then start playing again. Yeah, you could also do it in Life is Strange. That was her mm. core ability. Um, throughout throughout the first Life is Strange game as well. Oh, that's precedent then. Maybe they will do that. Who knows? We'll find out on November yeah, 16th. No, I, it's, it's, it's rife with the interesting role-playing and mechanics, regardless. Mm. And I'm watching that next movie. I'm probably going to track it down today. That sounds good. Yeah, that, sounds, that does sound interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, uh, you know there's a second edition of The One Ring coming? I did not. Oh, well, there's a second edition of the One that, Ring coming to you. This is news. To, <laughs> does that mean they have to fight the War of the Ring again? Yeah, I know. God, how Speaking annoying would that Speaking of rewinding be? time. Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, um, so, Cubicle 7 don't produce the One Ring anymore. Free League have it instead. And that right. was a story in and of itself, because that was very abrupt. I remember we all yeah. covered that on this Yeah, this I don't. I don't know exactly. There was some kind of contractual... Cause the, Something uh, happened. The, the company that had the license for the Tolkien stuff was a company called Sophisticated Games, not not Cubicle Seven itself. So Sophisticated Did they have Games, like the, the 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 tabletop game license, and pretty much they, yeah. they they sold yeah. it on. Yeah, I know yeah. that happened with Dune as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so some kind of contractual difference took place between Cubicle Seven and Sophisticated Games. And as I understand it, it was Cubicle Seven's choice to walk away. Really, but okay. I couldn't. I couldn't tell you what that what that disagreement was. Right. I don't know what it was. Um, but as, as 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 I understand it, as I was told, it was Cubicle Seven's choice to walk away. Interesting. I but, you know, um, so that and I, you know, I just assumed. You always assume it's the big guy or the big mm. the big entity that is throwing their weight around. But uh, yeah, 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 that's interesting. So, do we know what's Different in the second edition, other than well, the fact so that it's coming. Well, some some details have literally just come out. Just, so not can, not can an we awful have lot. Like a da, 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 breaking news. We'll run yeah, a little thing yeah, across. I the think bottom. it'll be anticlimactic when I actually told you what the breaking news is. <laughs> the difference is it's now called second edition. The, the difference is that you've changed the font. No. <laughs> <laughs> so um, 
Oh, they announced earlier this year that they were making, they were continuing uh, with the second edition plans. But a free league second edition isn't the same second edition that Cubicle 7 had started making. Um, But they do say it's not a completely new game. They're not like going back to basics and making a so it's it's a one new point, system. It's like a one point five, not a two. Yeah, it is. It is a second edition of the same game. It's not an entirely new version it's of the re- game. It's a revised edition. Then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, so here we go. They say, they say uh, most of it will be familiar to anyone who has played the first edition, but of course there are a number of tweaks, revisions, and improvements. Uh, retains the same core system where you roll the 12-sided feet die plus a number of success dice to try and beat a target number. I think that's the only game I've ever heard of where the core mechanic revolves around a 12-sider. Well, that's because everyone mm-hmm. hates D12s, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> the only time so people D12s? have D12s is when you get to roll it for damage. So, uh, which I can't I remember the last D12. time I rolled a D12 for damage. So uh, there's going to be a different visual style. Yeah. So the One Ring and Adventures of Middle-Earth had a very distinctive and I like felt like perfect visual style, art style for that game. It really just said Tolkien to me. Um, don't know what this new visual style will look like, but I know it's from the Forbidden Lands illustrator, uh, someone called Alvaro Tapia, and does include black and white interiors. So that is definitely a visual departure. Yeah, I, I personally like black and white art, mm. uh, just just because that's what I imprinted on back in the you know eighties. So many games have mm. black and white art in them. I mean, I'm not against color, but yeah, uh, I you know I Tolkien gaming is interesting because you think given you think there would be more of it. You know what I mean? You think more people would play Tolkien gaming because so many people are used to Tolkien. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I guess maybe they scratch that itch with D and D with epic high fantasy. But you can say the same D&D. about Star Wars. Why isn't Star Wars the number one RPG? Because it's a much bigger brand than D and D. That's true. But in RPG circles, it's not. Anyway, Moria, Moria was what I was about to mention. Uh, so Cubicle Seven originally had a, a sort of supplement adventure called Moria: The Long Dark Planned, and that was probably the most anticipated. Supplement for obvious reasons because everyone wants uh, a yeah, adventure through Yeah, it's the first dungeon crawl in yeah, literature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that got cancelled along with Cubicle Seven's second edition, and Free League have said that they are now going to make a new version of Moria: The Long Dark, but it's not the same version that um, Cubicle Seven was working on. They're starting from scratch with that. Interesting. So, so it sounds to me like basically Cubicle Seven either retained ownership of or were able to get rid of everything that already existed in the world. Uh, it depends, ring, on, depends, it? On, depends on how far they gotten into Moria, to be honest. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I, I, mean, I mean, but I'm just thinking about, you know, the art styles changing and they're hiring a new artist and they're replacing, you know, they're, they're changing all of the way in which the game looks. Yeah, it does seem interesting that they're paying for new art rather than just reusing a lot of the art that... Obviously, Cubicle 7 must own the art, then, I guess. Yeah, and um, that's, that's what I'm saying. Maybe they do. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, they, maybe they walked away, and when they walked away, they actually kept the rights to the art that they'd presumably paid yeah, for. Maybe, maybe, yeah. maybe. Um, but obviously, you can't use it, because uh, it's still Lord of the Rings art. So hmm. Yeah, you'd think they'd at least sell it or license it, then, in that case. Mm-hmm. Maybe um, Free League didn't want to buy it at the price they were selling, or... Or maybe Free League just wanted to make their version distinct. Uh, indeed. 
Indeed. Yeah, and, and can you blame them for that? Pro- that's I probably mean, the, most, the most likely thing, actually. Yeah. Well, do we know how well uh, the first edition was selling? Uh, we don't. We don't. Okay. No. Um, um, I do know that I did speak to Dom at Cubicle 7 at probably Dragon Meat or UK Games Expo or something over the last... Well, not this year. So, yeah, <laughs> last year. Year, right? <laughs> um, uh, and he did mention Adventures in Middle Earth, which was the D&D 5th edition version of the One Ring, sold way better. Like, massively better. You know, I'm and not it's surprised. actually... I, I was going to touch on that, you know, because there's been a lot of different Tolkien games. I was a big fan of Merp back in the day, which is actually I have Merp. Yeah, I like a that. scaled down version of Rollmaster. Mm-hmm. And if you like random tables and stuff like that, then go play Merp or Rollmaster. Uh, I, I thought Merp captured Tolkien very well. It, it felt to me like Tolkien the way the way they did it. Uh, but I was going to bring up Adventures in Middle Earth. I got that off of a, a humble bundle, and I was very I was very impressed with Adventures in Middle Earth. I haven't mm. played it, but I read through it and I liked it. So a lot. I, I have played it. Yeah, what was your impression? So, so while I understand that 5e is going to be more popular and it's going to sell more in that sure. version, I think the One Ring is the better game. Really? I don't okay. think I don't think 5e, despite the fact that they pretty much uh, got rid of all the 5e character classes, put in new character classes, and you basically can't play a wizard because there's only like five wizards. In yeah, the and that's you know, I was going to bring that up. That's one of the that's one of the if you stick to the lore. Yeah, the, the so if I beat turns, you're just you're just variants on fighters and rangers and barbarians and stuff. You're all kind yeah. of martial characters. Yeah, if you're a wizard, you're not human. You're like an angelic being or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Know? Yeah, exactly. so it's interesting to see how. So, so yeah, I don't think I don't think five uh, E was the right system for that world. I got it. You. Doesn't well, feel right. Five five E's five E's Renfair fantasy. Hmm. Do you know what? it's American Renfair fantasy? It's very different to Middle Earth. And they're is both there, great. They're both their own genre, but they're right. very different to each other. And I don't right. think 5e simulates Middle-earth all that well. Well, Middle-earth is very rich atmospherically mm. and, and tonally. And, and I, I don't know. it. I would have to take that thought deeper. But one thing I did like about Adventures in Middle-earth was they got rid of the alignment system and they had the shadow system. You know, mm. it's, it's, you're not good, neutral, or evil it's how far into shadow have you fallen? Yeah, and, and I thought that yeah. was interesting. Yeah, we're thinking of maybe doing something like that in Level Up, actually. Cool. Yeah, maybe. there's been maybe. A tremendous, maybe. maybe tremendous discussion over alignment. Um, yeah, and I was. But we're not sure. We're not sure. Yeah, tremendous discussion. So, so I had a go at something like that in uh, in 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 one of my games, Era of the Chosen, uh, for how far you kind of. How far you kind of fallen into the into the shadow, as you say? Um, it was it's it's it turned out very nicely. Um, I'm not going to claim it's the biggest game in the universe, but um, I'm I'm pretty pleased with how that how that went. I think my general problem with these things is like uh, you can get this kind of like death. You know, like how you get death spirals with yep. hit points and people. You get a shadow who, spiral. Yeah, you get, you can get like a shadow spiral, and it can unless you unless you balance it really carefully. You know, the, the worse the worse you are, the worse it gets. You want to avoid that situation because basically it stops being fun. Even though right. maybe that is maybe more how you would imagine it would happen. It well, still has to be tension, fun to play. You know, there's certain settings where where the tension of the balance could be the core mm. appeal to playing. And this the game I'm about to mention. I don't think that's the core appeal, but uh, he did it interestingly. You know, you got Craig Campbell from Nerdburger Games. Mm-hmm. 
and he just did uh good strong hands he kickstarted right. good strong hands which is uh it's it's sort of like a fey fairy world where the void from uh uh never ending story mm-hmm. is coming in it's similar to that but you can quote unquote fall to shadow but as you fall to shadow you get abilities mm. so if you go too far down the track give me your character sheet, you fall into shadow. Mm. But if you kind of maintain a balance, then, you know, you don't rest your head. Did something quite similar. Um, and, and I've, I, I, I love that idea and I, I actually played with it as well in, uh, in one of mine. Um, I did, I did a psionic expansion for my sci-fi game. And what I did is I had, okay, the, the further you fall towards madness, the more powerful you get, but, but right. Fall too far. And as you say, give me your character sheet. Sorry. Yeah. And, and, and that makes, yeah. it makes you go every time that you're thinking of doing something, it makes you go, is it worth it? Uh, so, uh, Jackals is a Bronze Age fantasy RPG set in the ancient Near East. Sort of Troy. Uh, yeah, what, what is, what's, what's Near East? Like, I'm assuming and, Turkey and... Right, okay. Uh, yeah. like, like kind of Troy. Right. Well, the, the artwork, the artwork on the front looks like it's got, you know, proper sort of Greek stroke Roman head plume centurion things. Mm. What are they called? You know what I mean? Helmets. Helmets! That's the word. <laughs> I know words. <laughs> um, but this is um, up on Amazon for pre-order already. It's a sandals and sorcery um, setting. There's a preview. There's a seven-page preview that you can check out. Uh, Geek Native has it on their site. We can stick a link in the show notes to that. I'm just going to quickly look, look at that. It's by Osprey Games. Osprey? 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 Osprey, I think it's Osprey. No, Osprey Games. Yeah. Uh, let's have a look. So in Jackals, you take on the role of Jackals, those who leave the safety of their communities and explore the wilds of the world, the scavengers of the dead ruins of lost times. You have the potential to become a hero of legend like Gilgamesh, Achilles, or Samson. Interesting. So, so you can take out an all an entire army with the jawbone of an ox. Apparently, so yes, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Um, so this sounds like one of those settings where it's like real world with a little bit of fantasy sprinkled on top. Like, you know, yeah, like, I think, yeah, I think it's ins- um, yeah, it's inspired by rather than. Um, Rather gotcha. than actually being set in the real world, but I mean, you're not going to mm. have like dwarves and elves and stuff. It's, it's doesn't look like it. No, okay, doesn't look like it. Uh, let's have a look. Uh, in the Zaharets, it's a realm between the Vori wastes and the plains of Akio. It has beast men ruins dotting the landscape. A reminder from the Kingdom of Sin and the fragile law of men. There are older mm. ruins still. The remains of the legendary sea people who lassie. Sounds a bit Conan, actually, in a sense. Maybe. Just, just... Who knows? Though, if only there was some way to find out. There's no possible way to know. Yeah. It, yeah. yeah. Well, we will only, never know. <laughs> it'll never. Be, it will uh, be a mystery yeah. forever. <laughs> well, it sounds interesting. <laughs> you know, I... I, I there's a... I, I, these, these games that are based on, like, like you're playing in ancient Greece or you're playing in the, you know, ancient Egypt or whatever... Mm. They intrigue me. I've just never had a chance to play anything like that. I've never so played any of those. I, I'd love to do one shots, you know, with, mm. with that kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, I think I kind of think I tend to prefer fantasy settings rather than real world settings. I think the only exception for that has been Call of Cthulhu. Mm. Although I suppose I don't know. Would you call Star Trek a 
real world setting. It's set in no. our world. It's no, just I'd in say the future. Probably not. Yeah, I'd say probably not. No. Yeah. No. Fair enough. Yeah. You have space elves and space orcs and stuff. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah. Yeah. Can't argue with that. Oh, there's a new adventure for Star Trek Adventures. Talking Star Trek. I saw that. Something about reality. Back to reality. It's called. Yeah, so it's like... Which definitely sounds like a Red Dwarf. Definitely not the Red Dwarf episode, right? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. What's what's the fish that always makes them hallucinate? Suicide squid. Yeah, so it's it's always some... They always attribute it to either they're in better than life or the suicide squid. Mm. Yeah. Um, So this is what I read on this. Your your crew encounters... uh, some Starfleet personnel from a universe where the Borg are in control of everything. Yes. So it's a 17-page adventure, the Next Generation era. So there was actually that in the episode Parallels. Um, When all the Enterprises started peering. When Riker freaked out. (laughs) Riker freaked out. You can't leave us here. You can't (laughs) leave us here. You can't send us back. Yeah. He was all haggard. Yeah, poor Riker. Yeah. Well, well, looking at this, actually, it looks like the away team goes to the other reality, not vice versa. Oh, right. So you end up somewhere quite unpleasant, where the Borg have pretty much destroyed the Federation, and apparently the core of the adventure is some kind of strong moral dilemma. A moral dilemma. Mm. So I wonder if it's a take take on let's kill Hitler. Uh, You know, do you have the chance to... Change everything, well, but yeah, so wipe out the Borg or something. Yeah, like, I can't really think that anybody wouldn't do that, though. I mean, they're the Borg, yeah, yeah, right, yeah. I don't know, I don't know. Maybe, Maybe the Borg are friendly in this universe. No, Maybe in that universe, they're just really fun to hang out with. They have really, good, they have really great parties, but they have a good beer, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll <laughs> yeah. sit down with you, have a beer, and, and a good chat. Yeah, you yeah. will be assimilated, but. But, but you'll yeah. you'll enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> you'll be assimilated, but you'll be glad. Of it's it. gonna be great. <laughs> yeah. What color eye laser do you want? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, instead of all that black and green, they're all like yeah. pinks and blues and yeah, yeah, lots of, it's lots like, of lovely it's like Steve bright Jobs. Colors. It's like the Steve Jobs took over the Borg and you have yeah. all these great uh choices and amazing design. Yeah. You know what? I don't think that's the case. I'm going uh, to put it out there, but maybe, <laughs> but, just maybe. But we should submit taste. this as a suggestion for, I'm, a, I'm, for a scenario, I, because should. I'm in. I'm in. I'd well, play that. It's definitely a um, soul space adventure waiting to <laughs> What do, uh, do we have a soul space analog for the to, for the Borg? Uh, we you call do them the Yorg. Not, not yet, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. <laughs> um, with that, I do think we have actually finished the news. Have, Did you say you had item. a piece of news? I have okay. one news item. Go for uh, it. Go for it. That, uh, anyway, so you remember just two or three weeks ago, that amazing fan-created final episode of the Dungeons & Dragons cartoon dropped. Mm. Okay, and it was done really well. Uh, you know, and people universally have loved it. And it's mm. getting all kinds of press and great coverage and... Um, anyway, on, on Shane Plays Geek Talk, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I interviewed both of the creators and it's a really good discussion. So I, you know, I, I usually don't throw my own stuff into this, but I, th- I, I, into your podcast, but it, it, I think it's a genuine news item because if people are curious, 
how did it happen? Why did these guys do it? What all was involved? Mm. Uh, then it's a, it's a really interesting discussion. So, I mean, just one tidbit, they took, uh, it took them four years to wow. make this thing. Four flipping years. Wow. And the amount of love that they have for this is it's it's unbelievable. Mm. So, uh, but anyway, I'll, I'll send Daryl the link. Yeah. Have you seen that, Ed? Did you watch it? I have not seen it yet. No. It's, um, it's, I've, been, I've had my head down a bit with uh, yeah. um, what I call Era Rimo, my version of Nano Rimo. So I've been quite busy for the last week or so. It's it's genuinely impressive. They took the script that was written but never produced for the mm. final episode of Dungeons and Dragons and and made it and and did it really really well mm. so did they reuse footage they reused some it? footage yeah. uh they animated some of their own footage they reused some footage they used an audio drama that had been produced for some of the sound and then they got the original voice actress for Sheila mm. and her daughter recorded stuff for this fan production cool so it's really you know Pretty, pretty amazing. It was very, very impressive. I was impressed. Yeah. Mm. You arrive at an intersection in the dungeon. There are doors to the left and right. Hmm. Let's have that right-hand door, shall we? To right, it opens upon a dank room full of fungus and swampy plants. A large figure, more of a mound, really that looks to be covered in plants, begins shambling towards you through the shallow, stagnant water on the floor. Hmm. And what is this creature doing? Well, it's shambling directly towards you. All right. And do I know what this swamp thing is? Well, it's a mound and it's shambling. Ah! It's a shambling mound. (laughs) It's no moss growing on you, my friend. Ha! Nothing good shambles. This must be dealt with, so I assume it's initiative time. Sounds good to me. It wins initiative and attempts to engulf you, but fails. Excellent! Here's what I do. Are you okay? Are you having a fit or allergic reaction or something? Should I call emergency services? No, 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 not at all. I'm I'm informing you of my combat actions. What? In interpretive dance. In, in, in interpretive what? Interpretive dance. It's a dance style that seeks to translate particular feelings and emotions, human conditions, situations, or fantasies into movement and dramatic expression combined. Yes, I mean, I've heard of it. I'm just confused by it in this context. Are you sure you're okay? That looks really painful. I'm fine. I'm fine. That particular movement indicate. Ooh, I'm using my ah, power attack feet. Well, uh, I mean, shouldn't we have at least discussed this first? Or at least let you limber up? I wanted to surprise you. You've succeeded. You know, when you said sometimes our game feels like the same old thing and you wanted to shake things up? Yes. So I thought about it and figured out a way to not only add something new to the game, but take our interpersonal communications to the next level. Um... See, the dance, it frees us from conventional speech and allows the game to fully breathe in a holistic space. Sure you agree. I, I can't disagree with your intentions, but are you sure? Wait, wait, watch the furniture! 
Ow! Ow! No worries, I can, I can fix that. Your, your wife probably won't even notice. Uh, that was my dice roll, by the way. Uh, my interpretation is I got a 17. You did appear to have 20 sides at the same time for a moment there. Well, that, uh, that hits. Speaking of, please try not to hit anything else during combat, if you understand what I mean. Ha ha ha! That was a close one, but we're fine. I know that's the vase that's been passed down your family for generations. Uh, oh yes, and I did seven damage. I can tell. You're actually limping. Such a kidder. I mean, to the shambling mound. Yes. However... It's definitely not limping, but rather still shambling, and it appears to still desperately want to engulf you. Next round. Uh, are you okay? Uh, yes. Uh, no. I'm not really sure. Are you ready for the next round? Or an aspirin, perhaps? <sighs> an aspirin sounds lovely. This podcast, Marky, is quite good fun. True. We do get to talk to interesting people. They are very interesting, and we've had all sorts. Big names, old and new. But how do we know who to talk to? Well, sometimes our patrons give us suggestions. What, so we try and get the people they want us to talk to on? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's a pretty sweet deal. Yeah, and obviously they get the fullest version of the podcast. The fullest? They do? Yeah, yeah, you know, all the funny stories and random jokes and digressions. Really? People are missing out on those? Well, they're not news, are they? Oh, come on, but that's some of my favourite bits. How can you avoid missing out? Ah, uh, well, that's easy. Uh, so just become a perfectly proper podcast patron. Perfectly proper podcast patron? What? How? Well, you head along to patreon.com slash morris and subscribe there. Oh, well, how much does that cost? $50 a month? You'd think. I mean, it's certainly worth $50 a month, but oh, yeah. uh, just a dollar. Is it? Mate, that's like 25 cents an episode. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? Huh. Patreon.com.morris. M-O-R-R-U-S. M-O-R-R-U-S. Cheers. I'll check that out. Shall we talk about you, Ed? Uh, it's my favourite subject. Okay, let's do that then. So we go from our favorite game in all the world to our favorite subjects in all the world. Yes. Uh, well, my my favorite subjects in all the world. I, I don't know about you guys. I mean, okay. If, yes, if your Ed. favorite if your favorite subject is talking about me, I'm a little bit worried. We are a little obsessed with you. You know, I mean, guess I'm... the Ed. Let, it's guess the Ed just by his name. Yeah. So I mean, we've, we've, we've you've been on twice before. Mm. So what what's new happening in the sort of era? World, universe of era. Quite a lot. And quite a lot's happened since we last spoke, How many actually. Kickstarters have you done since you last came on? Since I last came on. Which Kickstarter was I running when I last came on? Oh, God, it was like two years ago. <laughs> um, probably about 20 to 30. The God, second really? time you came on, the, the topic was science fiction role-playing games. So I would assume that uh, was So that science. would probably be the fifth anniversary of Era of the Consortium. So, yeah, probably, probably about 20. Wow. How... How do you do uh, that? I don't understand the question. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I write the book. I, I put it on the Kickstarter. I, 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 I press go. I wait. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, I've, I've recently been delving into the whole one Kickstarter a month thing. I'm mm. about to launch my fourth one on Tuesday. Mm. So I'm enjoying that very much. 
at the, at the moment. I'm not sure when when that starts to wear off. But I'm taking it from 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 the sound of enthusiasm in your voice that has not worn off for you. So yet. I am on my 61st funded Kickstarter at this point. Wow. Um, I do usually run one or two a month. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I should say that in a sense I cheat. Um, because I also run comic Kickstarters. I've got one running right now that's a comic Kickstarter. Mm. I also run audio drama Kickstarters, and then I run role-playing game Kickstarters as and when. We've just come off the back of uh, Era Forbidden, which finished mm-hmm. on Kickstarter and was um, funded very nicely and made a couple of stretch goals. Yeah. Um, we are now... Uh, we're, we're now not going to do any more role-playing game Kickstarters this year, but I've got two card games sat on the shelf, that mm-hmm. will probably launch early next year, probably. Um, I've got two comics which are sitting, they've been lettered and are waiting, not including the one that is currently on Kickstarter now. Um, and I've got six audio dramas which are in various stages of editing slash completed, waiting to go on Kickstarter. Wow. That's well, COVID-19, right? Um, so what, what Ed's not revealing, and I, I finally spotted it, there's a tube going into the base of his neck that is constantly <laughs> drip-feeding monster energy drinks directly into yeah. his spinal cord. Um, yeah. Something like that, but you weren't supposed to see it. I, yeah, let me I almost that didn't. I had, to really, I had to really look. Mm. So. It's all the shifting I've been doing. <laughs> so what's the comic you got going on right now? So the comic that's going on right now, it's called Violet Backlash. Mm-hmm. And it's based in... So um, the thing about all of these things that we do, they're all based in the same universes. So it's yeah. based in the Era of the Empowered universe where there's a, there's a role-playing game, uh, there are some audio dramas, and also there are a number of comics. And Violet Backlash is it's the second story for, for this character, Violet, in, in the comics. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's about sort of the difficulties of overcoming... All of the the emotional and mental difficulties of fighting a supervillain for the first time. So in the right. first comic, she fought a supervillain, she won. But my feeling is that that's got to that's got to ride with you for a while, you know. And if you mm. were to ever face that supervillain again, the first thing you would do is think back to that time where they nearly killed you. Right. Um. Yeah. And and I think that that Violet. The, the main character, Violet, is in a very difficult place at the beginning of this comic. And it's about her journey from not being able to be a hero or even call herself a hero mm-hmm. back to being, you know, able to sort of accept that what she is and what she does makes her a hero because of the way in which she does it rather than necessarily needing... To sort of feel like a hero in order right, to, yeah. to to do it, um, and we explore sort of her mental state. We we bring in another character as well uh, called Unnamed, who has a power that you could argue is inherently evil. That's something is this that's the, always interesting. Is this the me. character that has the sort of mummy wrappings? That's right. Yeah, she um, okay. she's actually covered in burns all over. Burns. Uh, okay. That's part of her backstory, um, and um, you know she her power is arguably inherently evil. And and can you be a good person if your power is inherently evil? Mm. Is a que- you know, I'm not going to claim it's a new question. I mean, the Incredible Hulk basically asked that question a lot of the time. But it's, I, I think it's an interesting question. And I think the interaction between these two characters, the one who 
maybe isn't really feeling like a hero and the one who kind of wants to believe that it's possible to be a hero mm-hmm. makes it a really interesting story. Hmm. So I've never made a comic before. I've made plenty of games, mm. but I've never, ever even even thought about trying to make a comic before. So I've got no idea what the process is like when you're making a comic. What do you do? Do you start by writing it? Do you start with some images? How, how does that process work from conception through to... Completion. So um, that there are there are sort of a number of different methods in the comic world. Um, the two primary ones are called the DC method and the Marvel method. Right. Um, the reason being that back in the 1970s when Marvel was founded, it was Stanley and Jack Kirby, and basically they'd sit down, they'd agree a general path for the story, mm-hmm. and then Jack Kirby would go away and draw it up, and then Stanley would letter it and dialogue it to make the story work. The thing is that that only worked because of those two people and the way in which they work together. And while people these days claim to use the Marvel method, when when I've ever dug into it and spoken to people about it, it never has been. So what I use, I use sort of an adaptation of the DC method where they go away, they they write it. They write it pretty much like a film script, Mm -hmm. right? This happens, these people say this, um, this happens, you know, there's an explosion in the background or whatever. You then hand it to the artist, and mm. when it's DC, um, they're very, very strict, and you have to follow exactly what's what's written and so on. Um, but what I do is I hand it to the artist, and, and particularly the artist I work with on on Violet, I've worked with him on seven other comics now. So you know, I'm I'm not gonna go if he goes, hey, I think this is a better way of of expressing what's going on right here. I'm gonna go, mm. yep, yeah, okay, let's go ahead and do that then. Um, I like to give him the creativity and and the flex to do whatever he thinks is needed to tell the story. Mm. Um, And then once you're done with that, you then go back to your script and the lettering. And very, very often I'll make, you know, as much as 50% of what I originally wrote as dialogue in the script will change. Because, you know, I'll look at the panel and go, oh, I don't have space for that. I'm going to reduce it down. Or uh, I don't really feel like that actually expressed the story the way I thought it would now that I've got the image in front of me. So I kind of, yeah, you start by writing, or I do. I start by writing. I give it to the artist and the artist draws it. And I'll, you know, I'll go, hey, hang on. Actually, we need to show this in this image or whatever. You know, I'll I'll do the art direction thing. Um, But I, I give them a lot of leeway and I like to do that. And then I finish up with the lettering and the the kind of the dialogue editing step of right, it. Right, yeah, yeah. And by doing that, I think that what we end up with is not just what I thought when I sat down and wrote the comic, but a combination of... Often I, I have my, uh, my good friend Jonathan Lewis uh, go through and he'll do the lettering and he'll do the dialogue editing at the same time. So we have a third perspective. He's currently not available because of... COVID. He's not ill or anything, but uh, um, he's a he's a frontline worker, mm-hmm. and um, he you know he would often go through. But this time, what we've done is um, I've gone ahead and done the lettering with a little technical support from Keith Draws, who is the guy who does all my layouts for my rule books. He's uh, he's also a very accomplished artist, um, and he's gone ahead and done all the all the lettering for me. And then I've gone through and sort of adapted it and changed the words and mm. and so on. Done my dialogue edit run. And that's how that's we've really, ended up with 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 Violet. Um, that's really interesting. I, uh, I I am just as much, if not more, a comic fan as I am an RPG fan. So that's I don't think I've ever seen an organ a company whatever that that is doing both RPGs and comic books at the same time. But yeah, the process you described, uh, you know, a lot of people these days approach 
comic books almost as like making movies and, mm. you know, your colorist is very important and, and all this other <laughs> stuff. So, uh, I have to ask is how, how do the comic books, what's the interest in the comic books versus your tabletop RPGs? Do they, did you start it just because you love comic books or were you, were you trying to reinforce your tabletop RPG product? Have the comics taken off a life of their own where people are reading the comics and not even playing the game? I mean, how is all that going? So it's a really interesting question. And completely honestly, if it wasn't for John, Jonathan Lewis, um, right. we probably wouldn't be doing comics. But mm. he was a comic writer for 10 years, a professional for DC. Um, and he said to me after I completed Era of the Consortium, hey, look, Ed, let's do a comic in the Era of the Consortium universe. Let's, let's do a sci-fi comic. And at the time I was, you know, I, 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 I read comics growing up, but not, not a huge number. My, my biggest favourite was Sonic the Comic. I loved that uh, here in the UK. Mm. And, um, uh, you know, I, I said, okay, let's, let's go ahead. And we, we wrote a comic and we wrote what was really a 24-page comic and had to compress it down to 12 pages. We just had no choice. We just didn't have the budget. And we went to our first convention out in Canada and the comics just sold like, wildfire we we couldn't mm. believe how fast we got rid of them all and it was kind of like okay so this does sort of have a life of its own that that could potentially be a thing people who didn't had no interest in the role-playing game whatsoever were interested in the comics yeah. um, and many of the people who were interested in the role-playing game were also interested in the comics so what we decided to do was basically sort of expand that and gradually work through some different stuff there's there's a strong possibility we may never have even done a superhero universe if it wasn't for the th fact that we wanted to do comics, and John, obviously, having written for DC for so long and, right. and, and writing superhero comics for so long, he wanted to write superheroes. So I was like, mm. okay, well, let's make a role-playing game in a superhero, you know, a superhero role-playing game, and then we can... The, the way I see it, and, and this applies to audio and uh, the novels that, that we're writing and publishing at the moment and, uh, and the role-playing games and the, and the comics is if you imagine kind of the universe is bricked off by a, by a wall, right? Mm. Um, the role-playing game opens a door, right? You can walk in and experience that universe, but you're likely to miss a lot of the small details, right? You, you're going you're gonna to walk on straight through and you're going to enter the universe and it's going to be great and you're going to have a great time and it's fantastic. But maybe you know the tent poles of the universe, but you're not going to mm. know every little detail. But then if you, you know, if you do a comic, you get to open a sort of an extra window in there that people can just sort of look through and look at a very specific location within that universe and expand on it and, and understand. And Violet is uh, a character who gets a fair amount of airtime in the actual role-playing game rulebook. Okay. Um, but we never really cover the early days where these comics are set. You know, like, like in the rulebook, we kind of skip straight to her first major fight with her long-term supervillain think in spider-man terms you know his his first animated series episode in the 90s was against the lizard but long term mm. the major villain was really the kingpin mm -hmm. so it's sort of her kingpin is where we leap into that story but it, it's clearly not the first time that she's ever fought a supervillain and we never really cover it in the same way and it's it's a tremendous opportunity to build out these characters which I grew to love while I was building the role-playing game. And they're the characters that we often use as one-shot sort of characters. So we'll go, okay, 
here, here are the characters. There's Lacuna, there's Blue Shift, there's Violet. Um, you know, they have these abilities. And by the way, at the end of the game, if you liked your character and you'd like to know a little more about it, there is a comic that actually explores this person's adventures. Mm. I think that's great. Now, do you... Uh, I'm thinking of, like, uh, the Forgotten Realms D&D comic books that I think DC did them back in the day, if I remember right. Um, and, it's like, the, the Pathfinder comic books that come out, the limit... the the limited series, a lot of times they'll provide supplemental lore or character stats. The Pathfinder comics will even bundle in a little miniature battle map you can use. Have you explored any of that, or is it just a comic book with no supplemental material in the back? Like, here's the stats for this issue's villain, or, you know, something like that. So that's... um I, I think that kind of thing is really important, but I'm also very, very cognizant of the fact that Actually, the majority of people who support our comics are, are not, not role-playing game okay. fans. Okay, that's, that's mm. what I was curious um, about the audience. Okay. So, so what I do, because I, I, I think that that kind of thing is really important, what I do is I actually use the Era Zone, which is our quarterly zine, to go into, okay, we just released Violet Number 2. Um, we've never had, you know, we've never talked about Antaeus before, who's the, the antagonist in the, uh, in the comic. Um, and here are his stats. You know, here, here are the stats that, that you, you know, if you want to play him in your in your session. Um, I'll be honest, he's not, he's kind of, he's there, but he's more there to promote the kind of story that I was describing earlier. He's not really like, the villain is the centre of the story. The centre of the story is Violet and Unnamed. And Antaeus is there to sort of push them along in storytelling terms. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he'd be a good villain to include in, in pretty much anything you want to you wanna run. I think that's really interesting that you're finding success both with tabletop role playing games and with um, with comic books. I, like I said, I, I don't. There may be other companies out there, there, there doing may it, well but be. I, I can't think of any off the top of my head. That, that intrigues me. Something that I've yeah. sort of thought about doing before, but didn't really know how to go about it. My kind of all of my knowledge is tabletop gaming yeah. stuff. Um, so while I am currently writing a novel, and you know that set with a publisher and everything, so that's fine. But I'm kind of curious about from the just from the production side of it with the comic, because it occurs to me that one of the most expensive things about producing an RPG is the art. And a comic is a lot of all art. Off. It's all art. So yeah. does does that not make it an incredibly expensive thing to produce? So it is. It is not cheap. Mm. Um but bearing in mind that the length is maybe 12 or 24 pages mm -hmm. and bearing in mind the kind of rates that you can get artists and, and good artists, because I, I do not want to do down Ramad at all. Um, I do not have a Marvel quality artist, right? I mean, mm. that's that's just the way it is. You know, I, he's not Marvel or DC quality. I can't afford that. You know, that would be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars a page, mm. um, possibly thousands. I am I am paying a much lower number than that. The reality is that what happens is the Kickstarter broadly pays for the artwork and the printing, mm -hmm. and then the profit that I make for the writing comes out of subsequent sales. Yeah. So um, I've I've been a heretic for a while in terms of um, I go to MCM Comic Con rather than going to Essen, which is a clash in October. But at, at conventions like that, you will. You can sit people down and introduce them to role-playing games, which, honestly, is the best thing ever. To have someone, to see the light go on in someone's head. I, I get a lot of people who say, oh, I tried D&D &D and I didn't like it. 
Um, and, you know, it's then just a case of persuading them to sit down and, and play something that's not D&D, because I think less so since 5e, I will be honest, but I think a lot of people find D&D too complicated, mm. and they struggle to play it. A lot of your, not not your, your sort of your long-term role-playing game fans, but people who are new to it, who want to kind of get involved because they heard Critical Role. I mean, that's a very common yeah, one. Yeah. Um, or, or something like that. And they thought, oh, I'd really like to try it. And then they try it and it's maybe a lot more complicated than they thought it was. Mm-hmm. Because anyone who's experienced with a role-playing game makes it look easy, right? Yeah. And, you know, it, it, getting to sit someone down and have them play a role-playing game for the first time or, you know, even uh, something you were saying earlier uh, about how a lot of people equate fantasy with role-playing mm-hmm. and there, there are people out there who aren't really big fans of fantasy but they're you know they're massive sci-fi fans or they're they're big fans of superheroes or whatever and it's a chance to run into those people who normally you wouldn't even run into at all because mm-hmm. you know you're you're pitching at the same people who already know what role-playing games are makes the pitch much easier but you're not reaching out to a new audience who maybe haven't really considered it in any serious way Mm. Um, so I find that very rewarding, but it also means that obviously being at a comic convention, I'm reaching out with comics and going, hey, would you like, would you like to draw a comic? And we usually have two separate stands. So we have a comic stand and a, and a, and a role-playing game stand. Mm-hmm. And at the role-playing game stand, we'll say, okay, um, if you enjoyed that, you know, that there are actually comics set in this universe. If you want to go look at our comic stand and at the comic stand, you know, hey, do you like role-playing? Uh, if you like role-playing, you can actually play in this universe and, and mm. um, even play as this character whose comic you just picked up. So um, uh, when you've got the two stands, does the comic stand tend to be busier than the gaming stand? Or? No. Usually it's the other way around. Um, right. Because obviously in a comic convention like MCM, so many comic stands. Right, right. Yeah. But, um, but I mean, because the gaming side of it is so rare at that kind of convention, there is some. I mean, there's organised play and so on that, that is going on, but... It's, you know, a lot of role-playing game companies, particularly the the, the non-sort of wizards slash Paizo ones, right. you kind of have to choose between Essen and, and MCM Comic-Con. Mm. And we, we kind of made our choice before we really knew how much Essen could matter. Mm. And we sort of stuck with that choice. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, I, I mean, so far it's been good. I mean... Since Reed Pop took over, uh, Reed Pop run the New York City Comic Con and a few others in the US as well. Um, they took over MCM and unfortunately they've been jacking up the prices um, uh, for MCM, not just for the attendees, but also for the exhibitors. So mm. there's kind of a, a question about whether we're still at a financially feasible place when we come back from from 2020 and maybe 2021. Yeah. We'll have to see where we're at. Because, um, yeah. I mean, as, as I'm sure Ross knows, it's it's always kind of this balance of, are we actually going to break even more right. than it is? How much profit do we make? Um, I, think, yeah, I, I, think, I think a lot of the time companies do pretty much break even unless they, you know, they have a really big release. They'll pretty much break even, but the benefit is just being out there. Yeah. And being yeah, it seen is. Is, it is, is, yeah. is, worth, is worth the time. Yeah. So bringing it back to... I could talk comics all day. Like I said, that's a huge, you know, D and D has three pillars. Well, one of the pillars of my geekdom is, is comics, but kind of taking it back to RPGs. One, I'm a big fan of superhero RPGs. Uh, one of my, the very first RPG I think I ever owned was uh, you I just said villains. And vigilantes, yeah. I asked right? for villains and vigilantes for Christmas and got it. Uh, I played the Marvel RPG 
DC Heroes. I love DC Heroes. Uh, I never played Champions for some reason. That one kind of escaped me. Just didn't when, happen. Yeah, it just didn't happen. And then I still today am in a play by post or play by email uh, Villains of Vigilantes campaign. So I, I think that superhero RPGs don't get discussed. I mean, they're, I don't think they're going to grow much bigger than they already have, right? They've had however, however many decades to get their slice of the pie. Mm, the biggest franchise on the planet right now is the superhero planet uh, franchise. Yeah, so. Marvel. You'd think, but like Marvel has put out multiple editions of their, and it, I mean, a certain amount of people play it. But the people that do play superhero RPGs are very dedicated to it. So, mm. uh, you know, so I, I think that it, the reason for that is is coming back to what we said right at the beginning about D and D, right? Um, I don't think a lot of people like, and and I just see this in people's faces. You know, I'll, I'll talk to a couple of thousand people on an MCM weekend, and I just see them go, "Oh, there's such a thing as a superhero RPG." Oh, okay, yeah, I'll give that a go. Right. You know, and I, I don't think maybe I think maybe the marketing isn't reaching people who would give it a try. I think I think what has to happen in a lot of cases is for D and D to actually become like you know, like Hoover or uh, what was the other ones that lost the um, Tannoy. Tannoy, yeah, a, a word that's so commonly used to describe role playing games that it stops being a trademark, and then you yeah. can literally say, "Yeah, this is D and D in space." Well, I think D and D is there. If yeah. it was pushed, I mean, you know, it would people, people, a lot of people use D and D synonymously with role playing games. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, uh, I, I play Pathfinder on Thursday nights. I call it D and D. Yeah. Hey, we're playing D and D tonight. What are you playing? Yeah. Champions. So, uh, and I, I, you know, not everybody does that, but I hear that a lot. But, but I love superhero role playing. I'd love Morris for you to do a, an episode just covering superhero role playing games. Uh, and I'd love to see Woin do a superhero setting or something. I, th- I think they would be so much fun. Uh, but one, one, one dynamic of superhero role-playing games that's usually a little bit different from traditional role-playing games is with a lot of role-playing games, you start weak and get stronger, 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 stronger. Mm. Superheroes, if you think about it, their that's, power that's, that's not the genre. Yeah. yeah, their power set doesn't tend. Yeah. I mean, there'll be minor variations, but they usually start boom with what they have. So yeah, a fantasy game is very much a zero to hero thing. It's kind right, of inbuilt into the genre itself. Right. Although and, there and are there, fantasy games that don't do that, that is very you know, yeah. The biggest, it's the kind biggest of fantasy a, game. Does yeah, that, you so. level up or you get stronger yeah. or whatever. And superheroes. And yeah, and there are exceptions to the rule for superheroes getting stronger or having major changes, but for the most part. You start with what you have. You're Superman at the beginning, and then the interesting thing is the the stories the and adventures and the villains that you could fight. Work is you, because a lot of superheroes grow more powerful as they get older. Sort of like Clark Kent as a kid isn't as powerful as Clark Kent when he's right. thirty, is he? And if you played it sort of on a sort of multi-year campaign, so each adventure right. is like several years later than the last one, you could sort that of level up then. Yeah, each season. How, how yeah. do you handle it, Ed? How do you handle it so, in your games? I, I, I gave this a lot of thought because yeah. I believe that uh, the, the way that I model superpowers is actually core to my answer to this question. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because what I do is I kind of start with raw ability. It's your, okay, Clark Kent is Superman, right? Right. Sure. Okay, so he's fast, he's strong, he's, you know, whatever. And he has this base power of being fast, strong, you know, how, however you want to express it. 
And then what happens is you kind of learn how to apply mm, so it's your, your power in different ways. So you're learning skills. And I, I you know, um, I actually think that the first X-Men movie did a decent job of describing this. And then if you look at sort of Jean Grey in, in, the, in the second two X-Men movies and how her power changes, not... I mean, yeah, okay, there's the whole Phoenix thing in X-Men 3, and let's let's just ignore that, and let's ignore most of <laughs> X-Men 2 as well. Um, but we, we can't you, ignore the part where uh, Wolverine's standing on the front porch and the cops have all the guns. We can't ignore uh, that part. We can't ignore that part, but, but Jean Grey okay. wasn't in that bit, so it's all right. Okay, um, all right. But my, my point is that, you know, she at the beginning of, of X-Men, you know, she's barely sort of lifting up a, a, a syringe to, to stick in Wolverine. And then, you know, by by sort of X-Men 3, she's not got any new powers. She just has... She just knows how to use them better. That's she knows really... how to apply them in a more pure sense, as it were. So that's a really elegant way of handling it, actually. Yeah. The same, just, the same just, reservoir as power is there. You're just but, using your skill. Yeah, of that's a fantastic you're, you're, way yeah, to you, you learn yeah. to apply your powers better. I, I was also thinking, I mean, the way that uh, Patrick Stewart describes Professor X's powers, again, in the first movie, you know, when I was young, I found I had the ability to, you know, know what anyone was thinking. Okay, well, that's just kind of the raw, you're just getting the brainwaves. Okay, cool. And then gradually, you know, he's worked up to where he is now, which is yeah. like a top-end character, where he can literally control everyone in the area. Yeah. Right. You know, I, I like um, that. That's good. I think uh, Mutants and Masterminds does that a little bit, that you get the base power. And this is going back to the mm. original edition of Mutants and Masterminds. So I don't know if it does it now. And then you basically, you change that power by gaining feats. Mm. So you might be super strong, but you still have to learn how to do the big clap, which creates mm. a shockwave, or you still right. have to learn how yeah. to lift something up without breaking it and things like that. Like literally, I my character in my Village Vigilantes cam- campaign right now, I named Patty Plus playing off of Platypus because her power set is so non-complimentary at all. Mm. You know, and a platypus is just like this weird mix of stuff. Yeah. And mm. and to me that that Leads to more innovative stretches you as a role player and all that. But how do you handle it, Ed? How do you, how do you handle power generation? So there are, uh, you know, there, there is a way of building your own power set if you want to. It's all in the rule book, right? Um, I actually recently I had some questions about it because I think that people went down the wrong road in some cases and made their base power too strong, which causes all kinds of problems um, down the line. So I've recently actually written an article that I'm also going to put out for free, but is in um, my Arizona issue 8, the last one of this year. And I've gone through how I would create someone kind of like Cole in Infamous. You know, you you, you have right. the, the kind of the lightning throwing power. Right. And uh, I've written that up, but there are 45 example power trees in the rulebook. And while that might not instantly sound like rollable, I think that's actually quite rollable uh, you know, you could use a roll of D100 and keep going until you get under 45, right. basically. And there, there's a huge variety of powers that you could play with from Alien Origin all the way through to, you know, your classic Mr. Fantastic Stretchy Man and uh, Absorbing Man and you you name it. I, I have literally modelled every single DC and Marvel character and, and Spawn and, and various other right. um, others as well. Well, that's that brings up the final point I want to make on superhero role-playing mm. games. It's it can be hard to get 
the white from street level up to Galactus level in one game to where combats and all that can make sense. The best I've ever seen it done was the DC hero system where they had the, the exponential uh, chart mm. that were every level up doubled. So you could have Batman and Superman in the same fight and, and it you know, it still made sense. Uh, so it sounds like you've solved that too, where you can have that. So light. I've done that by using uh, sort of a tier system for abilities. And what happens is, you get a certain number of points to allocate. I'm, uh, it's mostly a point by system. You get a certain number of points to allocate, and you can have a tier one skill, which is kind of like a very basic, you know, um, to take Violet as an example, uh, she can fly and she has super strength. So her base power is called Visceral Telekinesis. Um, she's actually a telekinetic and she's moving herself around. Um, and that's why she can fly and she's sort of boosting her her punches with, with telekinesis. Right. And then the level one power might be, okay, you can fly. Okay, so flight would be a level one power, a tier one power. Then you have your tier two powers, which might be like, okay, this is your standard super strength. Every time you do something, you're going to be able to sort of lift a lift a car, you know. And, and you get yourself your passive bonus to strength. And then Violet doesn't have any of these, but, but you can add them into your character. You have the tier three abilities. And that's where people like Apocalypse come in. You know, self-resurrection. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just this insanely powerful ability, but you can only get it after spending a massive number of points and effectively wasting those points to unlock this power, even in its most basic sense. So it's like a... it's. It's like a skill tree or a power tree in a lot of games. Yeah, it, it, yeah. it is. I, I refer to it as a power tree. Um, yeah. And um, and basically you have this lockout layer where you just have to spend points and get nothing. So if you want to be a character like sort of on Galactus kind of scale, you will be at level one, you will be almost useless in terms of the way you apply your skills because on, honestly, you, you just don't have that kind of ability. And then as you level up, the others will reach kind of a plateau of their level two skills because there's a level... Yeah, you, I mean, you can get more and more dice all the time. It's a multiple D10 dice pool system. And you can get more and more dice, but eventually the difference between 14 dice and 15 dice is really not that much. You know, you're not, you're not making much of a percentage difference, whereas that's the point where these powerful characters who've waited a very long time to do very much at all suddenly come into their element. Suddenly you're like, wow. So, Ed, I just want to ask, if people go to shadowsofvengeance.com... Sh- Shades what- of Vengeance, please. Shades, please, please. Shades, my bad. Pet Shades peeve. of Vengeance. Pet peeve if because I- of Shadows of Esteran, and we have been okay. referred to as Shadows of Ventures. All right, Vengeance so Shades of Vengeance. Shades of Vengeance. What What is the superhero game? What is it called? It is called Era the Empowered. The Empowered. Okay. Yeah. And then you and also have sci-fi and other games there, too. We have 10 different games, yeah. So we've got sci-fi, we've got a low fantasy storytelling game, we've got superheroes, we've got a survival horror game, we've got a high fantasy oddball game, I think is the best way I can describe it. Um, we've, got, um, we've got a modern sort of hitman assassin with superpowers thing. Um, we've got... Uh, my brain's gone. Um, we've got space fighters, we've got horror, we've got Final Fantasy inspired, and we've got 
post-apocalypse where angels and demons are now roaming the earth. That's Era Forbidden that just finished on Kickstarter, that last one. Um, I'd just invite anyone, hopefully it'll go in the show notes, anyone who'd like to join us and try out one of our games, including Era the Empowered or any of the others, join us on Discord. We're actually running pretty much a game every day. Um, I've got a, a team of GMs who are all running games on Discord, and anyone is welcome. We run them in GMT and, and um, American time zones as well. So anyone anyone is very welcome to play. Kidoki. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a real blast. Thank you and for having I really me. Yeah, enjoyed, it's, I, it's, it did go on for a bit too long, but I really did enjoy that conversation. It was... I think, uh, Shane, I think you're right. We should do a superhero episode. I'd love maybe, it. Maybe yeah. invite you on for that one. And we'll, uh, sure. We'll have a chat with about that stuff. I loved it. This was a good conversation. Yeah. Ed, it's been a pleasure talking with you. Absolutely. Thank yeah. you very much. Yeah. Well, good luck with the Kickstarter. I thank really you. Hope, thank I really you. Hope. Is it funded yet? Uh, it is funded. Good, um, it's good, actually good. reaching towards the stretch goal that's going to double the length of the comic Excellent. from 12 to 24 pages. Excellent. So, Excellent. yeah. Good luck. Um, I'll make sure you have the link for that one as well. Yeah, please do. Yeah. All right, uh, so thank you everybody for listening. Uh, it's been an absolute blast. Until next week, it's a goodbye from me, Russ. Goodbye from me, Shane, with Shane Plays Geek Talk. And a goodbye from me, Ed, from Shades of Vengeance. Apparently, I now have to read this to you. This is the official podcast of Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG news, which you can find at enworld.org. You can find show notes at morris.podbean.com or wherever you found the podcast. If you feel like they deserve it, you can support the show on Patreon. In return, you will receive exclusive bonus content. Just go to patreon.com slash morris. If you're interested in his babbling nonsense, you can follow at morris on the Twitter. Send your emails to morrispodcast at gmail.com. Not all of your emails, just the ones you want us to see. Mm, that's it. I'm bored now. You can go away. Shoo, off you go. Goodbye. Get out of here. I am now recording. Ladies and gentlemen, Morris is recording. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Anything you too. say now is on the record, and this is going to be a harsh grilling, I tell you. Yeah, I look I forward to it. it. <laughs> yeah. I was I was telling one of my guys the other day that I I, I really want someone to ask me some hard questions because I feel like no one ever asks me any hard questions. What would you consider a hard question? I don't know. I don't know. That's exactly oh. the problem. I've never been asked a hard question. Well, now you've no, so now, you, now, you, now you've put me under pressure now. now I no, don't worry. Think. I'll ask a hard question. <laughs> All right. Okay. What's the square root of seven hundred and forty-two? Uh, can I have a calculator? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> That's what makes it a hard question. <laughs>